Good evening, Nubian gods and goddesses, T.B. Wahid in the Living Room, Black Living Room Talk. With you this evening, I am reading The Gatherings by Raphael S. Ezekiel from The Racist Mind. I hope everyone is doing great today. I am having a sunny day. A beautiful 61 degree day here in Michigan, my neck of the woods. How is it where you are? As I experienced it, the author goes on, tentacles of hostility seemed to snake out from the encounter seemed to spread through the metal the rest of the afternoon. I was talking first with the North Carolina men and I and someone called across from an enclosure. He's a Jew. Soon as I was asking one of the attendees where the afternoon's street parade was to be held another called across don't tell don't tell the effing Jew you know what the word is don't yeah as I walked about the metal I picked up pieces of conversation Jew Jew boy there were periodic cat calls as I passed near a row of parked vehicles. One of the clansmen hidden in a van called over a speaker system in a metallic, loud and nasty voice. Yeah, just move your niggerized self along, Jew boy. Just move along. More cat calls, more frozen stares, as I passed, more hard, hostile faces. I talked then a long time with the men from North Carolina about Jews. What was the deal? I heard deep enmity. The Klan was profoundly anti-Semitic. I left that little group and continued to walk about. The cat calls followed the nasty stares. I talked after a while with a blonde bearded young fella over by some cars. He talked to me about the Federal Reserve, about the conspiracies, about the Jews. The Jews are children of the serpent. Look, I said, thinking to myself that I must not answer in the terms of his delusion, but as a real person. Must see the effect in real life. I get my ideas about people, by what really happens, day by day, what really happens with them. Now you're, now you, you're from a little town in North Carolina, I reckon. No, he answered, Tennessee. Okay, I said. But the point is, how many Jews were in your town? None, he said. 
none. But all I need know about Jews, he was shouting about now, by now. He had grabbed his Bible and sprung it open. He thumped it. He lifted it into the air above his head. He slashed the air with it. All I need to know about Jews. I get it right here. Boom. He slammed his hand onto the good word. All I need to know, the book tells me. I stood near a tent quietly. I was not willing to be driven away. More cat calls came. I understood. I would not be safe here if it were dark. If someone moved to hurt me, no one would stop him. I had been defined. I was not Rafe, not Raphael Ezekiel. I was not the individual my friends knew, my students knew. I knew. I was alien, stripped of my particular history. I was Jew. It was incredibly lonesome. I wandered quietly along the meadow, tasting the strange sense of isolation. People were stirring, thinking about getting ready for their parade. Venable arrived and we talked a moment. Then he reached into the car for his robe and pulled it over his street clothes. Other old men followed suit. Soon, men all over the meadow were pulling folded robes from the cabs of their trucks. Robes of all designs, all manner of trim on the sleeves. One even reading clan boat squad dressed now the men there may have been one or two women on the grounds drove off headed to a nearby schoolyard where they where they were to park their vehicles and line up for the march down the village main street I walked up the hill from the meadow to the village The deep loneliness persisted. I walked silently an hour down the main street and the little side streets. The village shops are set up to attract the visitors who come to see the Confederate memorials atop the mountain. Very few people were about. I felt numb and sad. There was no one to speak to me as the person I really am, the self built from experiences that I really have lived. The word stripped came constantly to me. This experience, I thought, must resemble the experience of American black folks. This kind of getting shoved out of your real identity. Shoved by someone else. Becoming invisible as a real human. Becoming a thing. What it must have been, I thought, to have been a black man or woman and to have worked here for civil rights. To have been stripped in this way. To have no identity. And to be marked target. What incredible courage I, I thought to have persevered. My comment. So now he's thinking about how black people feel in America. Or better yet in any other country that we as African people, African descended people have been experiencing these type of 
things that he's talking about that he's experiencing now. Do you really have to wonder? The whole world has seen. Now, I mean, from from the dawn of the invention of television, people have began to see Emmett Till, um, Rodney King. Before cell phones, someone had a camera. And they were able to film Rodney King's savage beating on a Los Angeles freeway in America. So, my comment being, like, is, you know, I'm thinking about the author now, like, is this something new that, I mean, you're just... Figuring this out. You know, I thank him for his empathy. That he's being singled out, even though as a Jew, he's still, he's, he's uh, Caucasian. But he's not the Caucasian that they like. I'm talking now, this is the, the black living room talk. So sometimes as I read, I will comment. The Klan procession arrived and came down the main street. The street is short, a few blocks. I counted only 12 spectators. The Klan has paraded here every year for decades, and I suspect the village is sick of it. One of the spectators was a black man. I wondered wondered at the thoughts of a black American waiting to look at a Klan parade. He explained that he was a state policeman in plain clothes assigned to watch the Klan. The procession proceeded down the street. The members avoided my eyes. When a man would see me at the side of the street, he would turn his head so as not to make eye contact. Twenty or so men at the front of the parade wore camouflage fatigue uniforms and marched in step. There followed three or four groups of robed men and then various children and preteens. They came by quite fast. There had been 71 cars in the middle. I saw about 200 people in the march. I returned I returned to the middle in the evening for the speeches, staying fairly late. I spent a lot of time at the gate area watching and listening to a group of men in their 20s and 30s who were on duty checking cars in. Each driver was asked, do you have any liquor or guns? Are you working for any police system? I did not want to leave my rental car on the grounds and risk its tires being slashed in the darkness. I parked on the town street 50 yards up from the gate. I figured I could get to it in a hurry if I had to. A lot of people were driving in. By dark, the metal held between 150 and 200 cars and about 700 people. They were of all ages and about 15% were women. I had many brief conversations, some easy and some hostile. 
Even the easy ones were heavily charged. One fellow said, when I told him that I was studying the movement, you know what's funny about this movement? Nothing. Ain't nothing funny about the Klan. This is dead serious. After dark, the speeches began. Dave Holland, as host, began. You know, he said, before this rally, I talked to that fat little cop, that black police chief, and he said, now, David, I don't want to hear the word nigger. Well, Sheriff, hear this. Nigger, 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 nigger. A good friend of Holland's, a black uniformed Nazi, gave the next speech, a vile compendium of slogans. And there were many more speeches. Klansmen, Knights of the White, Camellia, guests from other organizations. Each would exhort the crowd to cry out, White Power! They cried out, most with arms raised in the Hitler salute. In chapter 3, you will read the text of typical speeches. Let us say for now, the speeches were humorless, unsubtle, inaccurate, self-congratulatory. All were about the fight, the struggle, continuing the struggle. I was watching from the edge of the crowd. It had been dark for several hours. I knew cross burnings would follow. Higher on the hill. I thought it would be dangerous in this day's atmosphere to join that ceremony without invitation and left as the speeches wore on. I drove through the dark night to the motel, a bare-bones little spot at the edge of town run by two men who had fled the factional violence in Lebanon. I typed field notes for two hours. My chair and table were next to the window. The window was open to catch the breeze. I felt much too visible framed in it at my typewriter. I'm going to end this part right here. Sunday morning, I returned in a light rain to the rally grounds. Now empty, the vehicles departed. Lenny, the lean older man, motioned to come to me to come sit with him under the trap under the tarp. You might as well come out of the rain. He was guarding the site while the last pieces of equipment were removed. An old man was working over pieces of wiring while his wife sat in their car. Lenny and I talked for several hours. He told me his stories. He began with much talk about the niggers and the money masters and the 0.4 percenters. The 0.4% at the top of the income distribution. He spoke of Rockefeller and Warburg, who had built and controlled communism, who had stirred up the blacks. Stirred up the blacks. Lenny had been hurt at his job and had gotten nothing in compensation. He had hurt his neck twice. Then coming home from physical therapy, his car had been hit and his back damaged. He worked now as an independent welding contractor. He had, he told me, a boy who was super at math. You could read him a line of figures and he would add them in his head. The kid had been in a gifted children's program. Lenny had been, for a time, vice chair of the Metro Atlanta Head Start program. 
but he realized after a while that it was a damn socialist program. His daughter had a nigger principal. Lenny had asked the principal whether he would whether he would want to live in Atlanta. Hell no, the principal answered. Well, Lenny had told him, that's what people out here are concerned about. They don't want Atlanta to come up here. Sitting under the tarp, Lenny seemed a familiar sort, a somewhat older version of some of the laconic non-coms I had known in the army, fairly independent men with dry wit. The sensible talk we were sharing was interrupted at intervals by recitations of his harsh racist mythology. What started it in the First, first World War? Rockefeller paid to have three battalions. These three nigger battalions that got sent over to Europe. These niggers got a taste for white meat. Come back, come back and said, I want me some. In 1919, New York burned. In 1919, Philadelphia burned. In 1919, Chicago burned. They don't teach you that. That was the cities the three battalions were from. They went home, had a taste for white meat now, and wanted some. Them cities burned. What some people don't realize when the clan, the old clan, when they took some nigger and hanged him, most times, damn near every time, this was someone who was guilty. Really, They just saved the town the cost of electrocuting the man. Most towns didn't have the money to have an electric chair. They just saved the money. They just saved them the money. Send the sheriff on a fishing trip. Sheriffs, mayors, and those days, they was all clans men. Not today. But they took men who were guilty. They made sure of their facts. They had their ways to know. My comment. The entire legal system has been infiltrated by this, what you call the KKK. All right. The entire legal system in this country Lenny gave me his card he was an exalted cyclops I returned to Venable's house met several visiting grand dragons breakfasting under the pecan trees and went to the airport A few hours later, one of my sons and his wife came for me at Detroit Metro. I was a real person with a family. As we got into their car, they slid pillowcases over their heads in a clan imitation and sang a silly song they had made up. They were relieved. So was I.
I have to make some comments about this chapter, The Gatherings. It seems like this Lenny, he didn't want he didn't want to say or tell the truth, I should say, about how they hung innocent black men, women, and children in this country. He said they just wanted to save the city some money. So they became, basically, they became judge, jury, prosecutor. And this isn't about, this was not about somebody being a criminal. Oh, yeah, yeah. The color of your skin made you the criminal. I'm getting further to the end of the first chapter. So stay tuned until the end. And thank you for being my guest. I'm T.B. Waheed. Black Living Room Talk.